Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. Happy June, happy Pride Month, happy summer. I guess official summer is like one more week away, but happy almost summer. And I am so glad you're here to hang out with me for a little bit on the pod today. I am your host. My name's Claire Tuning. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, a PB&J lover, and more recently, a pickle gal. I've been on a real big pickle kick recently, which you have probably seen if you follow along on Instagram. But this is episode 169 of the pod, where we're gonna be talking to special guest Emily A. Bear about plant-based eating and how that fits into the anti-diet space. But before we get into this episode with Emily, I'm gonna get into a feature of some feedback that I've gotten from a recent graduate of my newest online self-paced course called the Mastering Meal Planning Mini Course. This would usually be the time of the podcast where I feature a post from our free Facebook community. I will be getting back to that soon, but I figured it would be fun to do a little something different today since I have been talking about my meal planning mini course for the past couple of weeks on social. So I reached out to a few mini course participants to see how the course was going, and one of them wrote back, I just finished it today. I went through each module several times because they offered something new each time. I'm already adding your tips to my food preparations, and I'm letting go of so many myths along the way. Thank you. I reached out to another participant to ask what drew them to the mini course in the first place because I was curious. I was like, why'd you click? Why'd you sign up? What are you hoping to get out of this? And they wrote, I wanted to do the course because meal planning is always so pressure filled for me. What to make? Can I have things beside broccoli and chicken? Can it be fun and healthy? I needed answers. My biggest takeaway from the mini course was all of the busted myths and the idea of threes. I started using the idea of threes with my eating just in general, and I find myself feeling so much more fueled, full, and satisfied. And it's such an easy thing to do, too. So I wanna give a really big shout out and a thank you to those mini course participants who shared a little bit about their experience. I have 30 individuals who have already joined me inside the course, they're already learning, and I would love to have you who are listening to this podcast through the airways, I'd love to have you join us as well if you feel that the mini course is the right fit for you. If you're new, if you've never heard about this mini course, the best way to describe it is it is a jam-packed, self-paced mini course for those who are looking to simplify meal planning and take the stress out of eating decisions and navigate the grocery store in a more time-efficient and budget-friendly way. This is the highest value, lowest cost offer that I've ever been able to create in my time so far as an RD. And I can honestly say with full confidence that when you implement and work on the skills and the tools that I teach inside of the mini course, you will feel more confident in your ability to put together meals that honor your taste buds, your nutritional needs, and your budget. You're also gonna know how to build a grocery list that will save you time, money, and reduce your food waste, which as I know is a really important value for a lot of people because they get a lot of questions about it. And you're also gonna get the tools to take the stress and the overwhelm and the diet guilt out of the meal planning process so that you and your family can enjoy meal and snack time again. So if you'd like to join us in the mini course for less than $100, it is $99 total for all of the content, and you're ready to take your meal planning and grocery shopping skills to the next level, you can check out the link below in the show notes, or you can visit my website directly, which is clairetuning.com, and click on the courses tab in the menu to find the Mastering Meal Planning mini course from there. But 
Getting back to today's episode, I am chatting with Emily Hebert. Emily, a little bit about her, she is an anti-diet registered dietitian who provides weight-inclusive care for all bodies. She specializes in intuitive eating and body image support for plant-based eaters, individuals with food limitations, and the LGBTQ community. Emily aims to help her clients create lives of food freedom by way of empowering them to love food while respecting their bodies. In this conversation that you're about to hear, Emily and I talk about plant-based eating, no surprise there, but we also talk about the reasons why someone might choose or not choose to eat in a plant-based way. We talk about how plant-based eating can align or fit in with the anti-diet approach, and Emily even offers a few things to consider if you have ever found yourself wondering about eating more plants, what that would look like, how it would feel, etc. So if you'd like to connect with Emily on social or learn more about her or even how to work with her, you can check out all of her information that is listed in the show notes below. Without further ado, we've finally gotten here. Let's go chat with Emily. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. It's so lovely to connect with you on this bright and sunny 60 degree day, both in Uh, Virginia and Colorado. Yeah, it's lovely. Thank you for having me, Claire. Of course. We're going to do some this or that to warm us up and get us started here. And we'll go from there. Sound good? Sounds amazing. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? Smooth. (gasps) Oh. I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have a preference. Like I'll kind of eat anything. <laughs> I, I'm going to let it slide. That is okay. a, that is a very divisive question in my household. Mm-hmm. I am all the way team crunchy, but I am also a proponent of don't yuck someone else's yum, right? You're allowed yeah. to have the preference. It's fine. But it's just something about the crunch in a crunchy yeah. peanut butter that I would miss if I didn't have it. I guess I forget about crunchy peanut butter because we just never buy it. But like, I really don't have a preference. I would eat either, you know, (laughs) so either one. You're like, whatever is in front of me, if it comes from a peanut, I will eat it. Pretty much, pretty much. (laughs) Next question. When it comes to things you like to wear, do you prefer Mm -hmm. to wear bright colors or neutrals more often? I definitely wear neutrals more. And like olive green is a neutral to me. So like black, white, olive green, but then I always have like giant gold hoop earrings on and like a like face like beat full of makeup. So like I, I'm like spicing it up in other areas, you know, but I definitely wear neutrals more. Yeah. That's an interesting approach to keep the outfit uh basic in the color palette, but then you have mm-hmm. a lot more freedom with like an accessory or a fun yeah. makeup color or yeah. a lip color. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm similar. I like to do neutrals, but I love being really bright on my nail color. Most of the time, especially in the summer neon colors all summer long. That's right. (laughs) That's fun. Next question. Mountains or beach? Oh, beach. I, I literally live 20 minutes from the mountains, but I, yeah, I think I'm like a coastline beach girl at heart. I was going to say between the two of us, we have some pretty good representation of both mountains and beach. You told me earlier you're in Colorado. You just said you live close to the, to the mountains. I told you before we hit record, I am an easy stroll to the coastline. So between Uh, the two of us, (laughs) we have some good nice. It's nice here because the mountains, like, like I drive 20 minutes west and they're in mountains and we have like a big reservoir so you can go like in the cove and like when it's in the summer, it's warm enough to get in the water. And so you're like in the water and like kind of on a beach, but like you can see the mountains and the hike is like right there. So like that, it, Colorado is nice in that way. But like, I think if I had to choose, I would definitely go to a beach. Yeah. The Vista that you just described sounds really beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I've i never actually been to Colorado. I've been to states around Colorado, but mm-hmm. I've never been there. I've heard great things. I'm not a big 
mountain sports or a skier. I know you can live in Colorado without loving those things, but I yeah. feel like I would be left out in a way. Since I yeah. I'm not like, I love being outside. I love being in the sun and I'm not like an avid, like sports, like mm-hmm. outdoor sports person. Like I like to go on like kind of leisurely hikes and a lot of walks. And I like to, you know, go to the coves and everything. And I want to try like paddle boarding, but I'm not like intense, like mountain biking. And I like skiing, but I like staying on the easy trails and just like enjoy, like, I like leisurely uh, mountain activities. Yeah. Leisure, leisure, outdoor exposure. I'll Mm -hmm. say on the paddle boarding topic, if you ever find yourself on the coast of Virginia over the summer, I recently (laughs) purchased a blow up paddle board. So we will see what holds up. I'll let you know. (laughs) I haven't tried it yet, but it sounds fun. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know. Uh, Two more that I have for you here, Starbucks or a local coffee shop cafe vibe. What do you prefer? Local. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely local. We have a little chain called Human Bean here and we it's like right down the street and we always get lattes there and they have this like cinnamon brown sugar syrup that we've been getting when it's cold outside and it's just so good. That sounds and I good. like supporting local shops. So. Yeah, I feel local. like you said it was called a human bean, like a coffee bean. Yep. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I've heard of that before. Is it maybe it's in other places? I don't know, but I'd never heard of it until I moved here. So I, we definitely didn't have it in Louisiana, but um, I love it. It's so good. Maybe I'm making it up. Here I am saying I'm yeah. in Colorado, <laughs> and then I'm like, I think I've heard of that place before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something doesn't make sense with what I'm saying. But uh, final question: Are you more of a traveler or a homebody? Oh, you know, I'm gonna be honest and say probably a homebody. But like, I don't know. It's so hard because like, I've literally have gone like two places in the last couple of years. So like, I don't know if that's like the best representation, but I don't necessarily like to stay at home all the time. I like going out, I like going out to eat. I like going out to get drinks, but like, I'm not someone that needs to like jet set like every mm-hmm. couple months. I don't know. I mean, I like to visit Louisiana to go home and, um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not like a big like travel junkie, I guess, but I do like to explore like where I live. Yeah. Um, Sounds like adventures within a short distance to your home. You like doing that, but as far as the jet setting and feeling like you have to go far away, maybe that's not like a present part. I feel that. Yeah. I'd be fine with like a couple like smaller trips every year. Like I usually go down to Louisiana like once or twice a year when COVID was not a thing. And like my girlfriend and I want to like go to a couple places, like, you know, sort of like long weekend trips, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't, I want to go to Greece, but like, I don't need to like go on an international vacation like twice a year. First of all, it's so expensive. I don't know how people do that, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I just, there's so many, so much to explore, you know, here. So especially when you have the beautiful lake and human being right down the street, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Emily, now that we know a little bit more about you and some of the fun, different types of questions, I would love for you to share just a little bit about yourself and what you do professionally, and most importantly, how you landed where you are in the the version of nutrition that you present. Yeah. So I am a dietitian now, and I'm also like a food blogger and a content creator, and I started food blogging when I was 19, just turned 19 in college. And um, so I've been doing that now for almost seven years, which is crazy. Um, And was in college for PR, was going to like get a fancy communications job in a big city. And then I went through like my own disordered eating struggles in college um, and had had some towards the end of high school and just like generally growing up as a kid, like as a girl in the early 2000s, like it, it happens. It's kind of inevitable. <laughs> um, kind of like known as like the healthy girl, you know, in your friend group, that kind of thing. Um, but it definitely intensified college and um, ended up going to a dietitian, actually Robin from the real life RD. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know. Um, that is. I'm yeah. So I ended up the name. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Well, I ended up doing counseling with her and also like starting therapy, which I now have been in for six years or something. And um, where was I going with that? (laughs) I kind of started that recovery process from disordered eating and found myself wanting to go into nutrition as many of us who have disordered eating paths do. Um, thankfully now that I'm like past disordered eating, I'm, I'm still happy that I picked nutrition. Like I love what I do. I feel like a lot of people pick it when they're kind of like in the midst of recovery and they're like kind of excited about this. And then they kind of get to like where they don't have any disorder thoughts anymore. They're like, wait, I think I was kind of got wrapped up in it. Um, and I don't actually want to do nutrition, but thankfully I love what I do. So I graduated undergrad. I got my master's. So I moved up here to Colorado. I got my master's in nutrition, um, did my internship, was still blogging. And it basically had been full-time since 2017, started my master's in 2018. Um, and then, yeah, did my internship, became a dietitian, got a job as a counseling dietitian with Nourishing Minds Nutrition, where I do anti-diet one-on-one counseling in August of 2021 and I'm here so that was a great timeline <laughs> you yeah that out for us it's like it's it's like a good like I can there's you know clear like dates like started the blog like was in you know kind of like the food and wellness online space which honestly I think well it definitely fueled my disordered eating I also went vegan in that time like kind of right around when I started the blog and the online vegan community is like always toxic but it was like particularly toxic at the time like the 2015 2016 era um and so that really fueled my own disordered eating and yeah then you know the rest is history and I'm still vegan um that'll also be seven years but I definitely approach it from a much much better place um I didn't a place where like I feel not restricted at all so um yeah that's the whole timeline I guess yeah and what you were just saying there brings us really well to what I'd love to talk about for the rest of Mm -hmm. this episode I know I get a lot of questions about plant-based eating Mm -hmm. or veganism and how that fits in with intuitive mm-hmm. eating. I think a lot of people, um, I can speak from personal experience here, sharing a bit of my own story. I too struggled with disordered eating and veganism became a part of that for me personally yeah. from a disordered place. So I think a lot of people see something that is restrictive in some ways as mm-hmm. how do I know if this is truly something that I want to do or a part of recovery, Mm -hmm. or if it's something that's furthering my disordered eating. So I'd Mm -hmm. love, I have a bunch of questions for you here, but we can just start with how can veganism or just a a heavier plant-based lifestyle, Mm -hmm. how can that coexist with intuitive eating or how can we separate veganism from diet culture? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the overview. Um, I think at its core, like, I think really intuitive eating at its core is eating according to your values. And if you are exploring intuitive eating, your values are probably flexibility, freedom, um, self-compassion, um, you know, a desire to pursue health. So, I think that intuitive eating and veganism are actually similar in that way. And that veganism is about eating, not only eating also, but like living in this context, eating, that was the most important thing that we're talking about eating according to your values. So if you're, you know, my own personal values are just like, I just don't feel comfortable eating animals and I don't have any judgment towards anyone else that, that doesn't have that value, but it's just, it, it, you know, it's, I don't want to compare it to a religious value because it's obviously not a religion, but it's similar in the way of like someone else can have, can practice a religion and I can respect, you know, the practices that go along with that religion without me um, also being that religion. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have our different values. Um, So I think if you look at it that way, they actually can go hand in hand. um, And that is just, 
eating according to values. Um, and also veganism, when it aligns with diet culture, like doesn't actually serve anyone. It, if you go vegan to, you know, you know, reduce suffering to animals or lessen your environmental impact, doing it in a restrictive way is probably the best way to not be vegan later because you're going to like be really sick of it and like hate doing it and then swing in the complete opposite direction. I mean, it's no surprise that so many people who go vegan are later like going carnivore or whatever, because it's just like another diet Mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the list of diets to try. It's not just like a way of eating. Um, So it doesn't actually serve anyone because if those are your actual values, doing it in a restrictive way will most likely lead you to not eat according to those values later. Um, And also it doesn't serve you because you're not feeling your best. You're not eating to fuel yourself. You're probably under eating. You're, you know, falling into disordered eating patterns that we know like don't serve people. So um, I guess that's kind of like my overview. Yeah, I think it's really powerful how you tied in some values work with this and how Mm -hmm. eating in a way that lines with your values could actually contribute to the sustainability of choosing to go vegan, Mm -hmm. right? You're describing, for example, if someone is treating it like just another diet in the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, ringer of diets that they've done year after year, if they're only making these choices based out of, I feel like this food group is bad and Mm -hmm. it's going to make my body change in a way that I don't want. So I'm going to cut it out. That's not going to be sustainable because it's not connected to a value that goes deeper than that. Right. But the values you're talking about where it is reducing animal suffering or eating in a way that's friendlier for the planet. Those are values Mm -hmm. that we can maintain and connect to for a longer amount of time than Mm -hmm. the dieting cycle. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, no, exactly. And it's just like any other diet at that point, if you're approaching it from, if you're approaching it from this diet culture perspective, you might as well, you know, throw it in with all of the other diets that don't work, right? Like it's not going to work when you cut out food groups, when you're super restrictive, when you're not eating enough, like those things don't quote unquote work for what you, you know, want them to do. And also they are probably going to you know, fuel some disorder of eating behaviors as well. So, um, yeah, exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Let's maybe go there a little bit more because I'm guessing we're probably going to have some people listening to this episode who have seen the title. They see something about Mm -hmm. plant-based eating or veganism, Mm -hmm. and they're maybe considering, is this something that is going to be a fit for me? Or is this Mm -hmm. in alignment with my values? How Mm -hmm. might you walk someone through trying to decide if going Mm -hmm. vegan, or even if they just want to start incorporating more plant-based meals, right? If that's Mm going to be a choice that is healthy and supportive for them, or how do you help them figure out if that's maybe coming from an intention of the pure dieting restriction that doesn't connect to those deeper values? Yeah, that's actually a great question. I think I would actually start with those values. Like, why do you want to do this? Like, what are the reasons that you want to do this? And are there any, like, you know, for me, I remember thinking when I went vegan back in 2015, you know, I, I love animals. I don't want to hurt them. I think this is better for the environment. My feelings have like changed on that a little bit, but, um, and I also said to myself, like, well, it would also be a bonus if I could look a bit more like at the time it was like the thin Australian vegan. Um, and so it was like, well, if this happens, it would be great. And so I would, and I think a lot of people say that like, yeah, I'm doing it for this and this reason, but like, maybe there's some like kind of subconscious hidden thing that like you're kind of wishing for sort of like when people start intuitive eating and they're like, secretly hoping that it does help them lose weight and you want to probe for those things. And it's not, you know, people aren't bad for having those feelings, right? There's a reason why we all, you know, at one point or another have wanted to lose weight because we've been told our whole lives that we need to, but, um, you know, I need to know that you're feeling that way so we can talk about it. Um, so I definitely would ask why, um, 
a really important question that I would ask is if they have any history of eating disorder and disordered eating, because that is so common with people who want to go vegan or want to go vegetarian or want to eat more plant-based. And some people truly just can't do it. It, it triggers those restrictions, even if it's for the purest of reasons that level. I mean, veganism is restrictive. Like that is no question. And yes, we have a bunch more replacements, you know, nowadays than we even had five, 10 years ago, but they are expensive and sometimes inaccessible. Um, or some people don't like the taste or whatever it might be. But for some people like that level of restriction, especially like going out to eat and whatever it can, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe working with them to try to eat a bit more plant-based, but like, we don't need to, we don't need to go completely vegan if that's going to like trigger some sort of disordered eating eating disorder. Um, and what else would I do? Um, I think those are the big things, honestly. Um, I would say if someone came to me and they were already eating vegan and vegetarian and I like needed to see like the um motivations behind it my two major questions are how do you feel about higher fat foods and do you eat like vegan specialty foods like vegan meats and cheese and stuff those two questions honestly answer like give me a very good idea of like why this person has gone vegan and like the disorder things that they may have picked up from the vegan community. Yeah. That's kind of probing for those. Mm -hmm. Those questions. I've never heard it phrased in that exact way, but (laughs) what a good litmus test. Each of those questions are right. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about higher fat foods? Right. Cause especially when we're, and I have some questions here in a moment more about plant-based foods and how do we Mm -hmm. make sure we're eating enough, but a lot Mm -hmm. of plant-based foods, like nut butters, for example, right? The mm-hmm. delicious oils we're going to be cooking with avocados. Mm-hmm. Those are more energy dense foods. They're higher fat. And I think it mm-hmm. can be a red flag if we are being really restrictive around those foods mm-hmm. within this framework that is already inherently restrictive, as you were saying, that could be yeah. an indication that the main thing we're looking for here is restriction and monitoring right. our calories rather than those bigger the the bigger value-based work that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. When I described that very toxic period of online vegan thinking, which still persists to this day, I don't think it's as strong, but the demon demonization of fat, particularly oil is something I see with every single vegan client. And a lot of people, a lot of vegans or former vegans that I've talked to online who were vegan around that time. Um, and a lot of people went vegan at that time. Cause there were some like vegan documentaries that were really popular. I'm not really that big of a fan of them, but just, it is what it is. Um, so if someone wants to go vegan and I ask them, like, how do you feel about like cooking with oil or vegan mayonnaise or vegan cheese? And they're feeling a little bit skeptical. That tells me that we need to take a step back from making those shifts to veganism or even just more plant-based eating and deal with like what have you picked up about, you know, oil or fat? And why do you feel like you need to restrict those? Um, salt, weirdly too, salt and sugar. I mean, obviously sugar is like kind of big to demonize in any community, but uh, salt as well. And then, yeah, the vegan specialty foods, a lot of people just don't think that they are, I don't know, uh, people just like to demonize them and say that they're for people who, um, you know, are trying to transition to veganism, but like, if you're, you've been vegan for a long time, like you don't need them. Like they're unhealthy, they're processed, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I've been vegan for seven years and I love them. So, yeah, and they like keep me satisfied and they, you know, make me feel like they make the inherent restriction of veganism a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it usually comes from fear of fat as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the main things for people to look out for the things that I'm gathering as you share Mm -hmm. are first, you want to assess why, what is the intention behind wanting to go vegan? Is this connected to your values on a larger scale? Mm -hmm. Or are we just hoping that the restrictions will lead to something like weight loss, right? Or is this 
for lack of a better term, an excuse to avoid a lot more foods in a way that might be viewed as more acceptable. So that's one Mm -hmm. thing you want to consider. I also appreciate that you're, you talked earlier about how it really might not be something that Mm -hmm. is safe or accessible for Mm -hmm. everyone, especially if there is a history of an eating disorder, disordered eatings, Mm -hmm. and these restrictions will turn into that slippery slope. I like how you were talking about if that is the case, but someone Mm -hmm. is interested, maybe we could meet in the middle and talk about ways to incorporate a greater variety of plant-based foods without feeling like we have to go all the way. Like if those values are there related to the planet, animal welfare, I feel like even kind of coming into a middle ground stance and experimenting with what that could be like could be helpful if someone isn't really in a place where they can safely go fully vegan. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And yeah, you said that you said that perfectly. And I think that's from like a disordered eating perspective. Like if someone feels or if I kind of get the sense or that person can even be honest with themselves about if that is going to trigger some like extra restriction. Um, but also if someone you know, I know for myself personally, like vegan specialty foods and vegan butter, all those kind of things, like play a major role in making my diet like satisfying. And I have the time to prepare like really good food. Like I work for myself, I work from home. Like I have the time to prepare a lot of good food, but if someone doesn't have access to those things or they can't afford those things, I would be hesitant or, and like, doesn't have the time to like prepare a lot, you know, most of their meals, I would really be hesitant to have them like go completely vegan. Cause it's like, what are you going to do when you need something convenient, but you, like, you don't have access to like a good option or, you know, you are eating, I mean, I love beans and rice. Don't get me wrong, but you are eating beans and rice for like the 30th day in a row. And it like gets really unsatisfying and you don't really have time or the money to cook something else. So I think, yeah, from like a disordered eating perspective, I would be, you know, cautious of recommending it to someone if I got the sense that it was not going to be a good fit. Um, but also like, it does it fit your lifestyle to be like a hundred percent vegan. Are you, are you going to be satisfied? Are you, are, are you going to like get sick of this really quickly? Mm-hmm. I think the satisfaction piece is super important because you and I both know, I mean, it's one of the principles of intuitive eating for Mm -hmm. a reason, because if we are not finding satisfaction, at least through some of our meals, then Mm -hmm. we're going to continue fixating on food and we're not going to feel fully nourished, right. And and pleasant after our eating experiences. So I think, yeah, I I appreciate you too, tying in that real life perspective of, Mm -hmm. is this going to fit with my lifestyle? Do I have the time to be a little bit more intensive with some of my meals? Do I have access to some of these other foods that you're talking about to bring in that level of satisfaction? So a lot of things to consider that I feel aren't often talked about when people are just like, you should go vegan, period, (laughs) end of sentence, right? They're not talking about the nuance and how that isn't as easy as it sounds on the surface and how there are many Mm -hmm. more things that we have to consider for that to be a realistic or even a safe decision for someone. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Another question that I have for you, I hinted at this earlier when I said I wanted to ask you about some actual food stuff because we know, and maybe our listeners know as well, that plant-based foods are just naturally often less energy dense than animal-based foods or animal products. Take Mm like vegan protein options, for example, beans, source of protein and carbohydrates, but the amount of beans that we would have to eat to equal the amount of protein in a chicken breast, for example, right? We would have to eat a lot more beans. So I'm curious if someone is looking to either go vegan or just incorporate more plant-based foods, how would you recommend that they make sure they're eating enough first Mm -hmm. and foremost, and that they're getting the energy that they need throughout the day? Yeah, it's a huge problem that I see. I mean, my clients in particular across the board are usually under eating, but my vegan clients in particular are under eating, but they don't necessarily feel like they are. Um, 
I mean, the first place I start with any of my clients is consistency. So are you eating like three meals and a couple snacks a day? And does that need to be more if you are vegan? Because like you said, the foods generally are less energy dense. Um, and you can only, they're very fiber heavy as well. So Mm -hmm. like, it's not like in one meal, like to increase the energy, I'm going to add like a scoop more chickpeas when I already have like so much fiber on my plate, you know? So do we need to add another snack? Um, I think this is where fat comes in because obviously fat is the most energy dense macronutrient and a lot of vegans, you know, really shun it or are scared of it a little bit like hesitant, but so you're eating these like lower energy dense, high fiber foods all day with like very little fat. First of all, you're not like able to absorb all the nutrients from those foods, but you're also, I mean, that could be like a really important energy nutrient um, for vegans. So if we're not getting enough. That's something that I'm looking at. So I think the biggest thing would be, do we need to add another snack? Um, or could we add some more like energy dense foods, like peanut butter or dried fruit or um, I don't know. Yeah. Like a, like a mayo based, dressing um some like vegan specialty foods like vegan meats or cheeses that are um a bit more comparable to you know vegan meat versus like ground beef Mm -hmm. as a is a better um it's more equivalent than like chickpeas and beef you know as far as energy so um i guess just looking at overall you know are you just eating like beans and rice and vegetables because like we need extra snacks (laughs) we need like more fat you know so yeah we need more in there to meet the body's daily energy needs and I want to bring up something here I'm not sure if this is a phrase that you use in working with clients but I will often talk to my clients especially at the beginning of our work together when I'm getting more familiar with their intake I talk to them about air foods Uh, what Mm. I mean by air foods are these foods that are high volume so these are Mm. like our fruits and veggies that we might snack on, especially if they're raw, they're high volume. So they can give you that feeling of fullness when you've eaten a lot of them at once, but they don't have the staying power of something that has a higher fat or a protein content. Right. Mm -hmm. So I am often looking in my clients intakes, like we're eating a lot of air food. So you're feeling full, but they're not actually helping you to meet your energy needs. I bet that happens a lot in the plant-based or in the vegan community, just because so many of the foods are higher in fiber. And especially if we're fearing the fat component, that leads us down the road of a lot of air foods and not a lot of substantial Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. And like, not that satisfying, you know, Mm -hmm. I was actually, um, I had a vegan client that I wrapped up with a few months ago, but, um, she really struggled with this fear of fat. And, um, you know, I was trying to kind of explain the concept. I haven't used the, the term air foods, but explain this concept of like, you know, you eat like a bowl of plain rice versus like you eat a bowl of rice with like a scoop of butter on it. Like, yes, this bowl of plain rice is going to fill you up, but it's going to like go quick. Like your stomach's going to be really full. Maybe like a bowl of carrots would be a better example, like carrots and tahini or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fat just adds like that staying power, you know, that like kind of feeling of I can move on in my stomach. Um, and she like, wasn't really, she wasn't really getting that. And so, you know, she really, this is a very common thing would find herself like going through the cabinets and Mm -hmm. after dinner and not feeling like very satisfied. I'm like, you just need to add a little fat. And I promise like you will feel like satisfied after your meal. So I know I keep coming back to fat a lot, but it is something that's so demonized with vegans that I think can play actually a really important role in, you know, vegans meeting their energy needs Mm, Yeah, and and making things satisfying. Yeah. The satisfaction and the staying power components too. And Mm -hmm. you, you said this earlier in our conversation, but it was very brief and it was in passing. And I don't know if our listeners (laughs) caught on to it, but a lot of the nutrients or the vitamins that we find in some of our fruits and veggies, they can be fat soluble, meaning that there has to be some sort of fat present for our bodies to make use of them. So Mm -hmm. if we are constantly consuming these foods, these air foods, maybe a fruit or a vegetable, and we're not having the fat 
throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Not only is that going to impact satisfaction and staying power, but our body also isn't able to utilize those nutrients as effectively. So I want, I know you said that earlier, but I wanted to say it again. So our listeners (laughs) heard it loud and clear. Yeah. And I mean, I find that a lot of my vegan clients and just people that I've talked to, I mean, they're eating so many fruits and vegetables, like more than necessary. Um, and it, it, I think it does come back to this air food component of like wanting to fill your stomach, but not, you know, get the, any energy from it. But, um, yeah, they're eating so many fruits and vegetables and I'm like, well, God, you're not even absorbing like as many nutrients as you could from all that. And you also really don't need to be eating that much fiber and fruits and vegetables, you know? Yeah. So I guess the, the TLDR version of what can someone look out for, right? Is assessing energy levels, assessing Mm -hmm. satisfaction cues throughout Mm -hmm. the day, assessing how long meals are keeping you feeling full to assess if you need more staying power, anything else that you would add there for them to look out for? Mm, I think staying power is a good one. I mean, I think even yes, how long it lasts, but also like how you're feeling like right after a meal. Cause it's, I mean, yeah, you can like tell pretty quickly, like, oh, this is like not gonna mm-hmm. last. Um, so that like feeling in your stomach, if you can like move on with your day, probably at like a, a pretty satisfying meal. But if you feel like just a little, like, eh, I could like have more, but I don't know, you know, this like questioning feeling, then I feel like, you know, something may have, you know, something may need adjusting. Yeah. If you're staying fixated on the food, that's yeah. probably an indication that you either didn't eat enough or the combination of things that you ate didn't quite mm-hmm. take the boxes of what you needed to feel satisfied. Yeah. Yep. So Final question that I have for you here, just kind of throwing the ball back in your court, any final thoughts or final words of advice that you might share with someone who is vegan curious? Can we use that word? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. They're plant-based curious, like anything that you would say to them as some parting words or things to keep in mind there? Yeah, I think my biggest thing to say would be if you're interested I think a lot of people are interested obviously in like the values that we were talking about earlier, you know, eating, you know, according to maybe if you have the ethical values of like reducing animal suffering and um, impact on the environment, you can improve, like you can live according to your values and not have to go a hundred percent vegan or hundred percent vegetarian, whatever it is. I think I've really shifted away from that thinking um, in the years that I've been vegan. So just to say that if if those are your values, you can live according to those values, like most of the time, and you're still making a huge impact. If you feel like a hundred percent just doesn't fit with your lifestyle, or you want a little bit of flexibility, like it is, I mean, it's getting easier. Like I can go to Burger King now and get a burger. That's great. But like, it is hard, like when you're traveling or like, if you want to eat, um, you know, your grandma's whatever recipe at Christmas, um, you know, reducing like the amount of animals you eat can have an impact, even if it's not cutting them out completely, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just have come to this much more flexible mindset, even though I personally am still, you know, completely vegan, it just feels fine for me. And I have like the time and money to like make good meals. And I don't, travel a ton. Um, but that any, anything that you can do to move closer to this, you know, more plants, it makes an impact. Um, and it's, you know, if you're interested in the, in the health benefits of eating more plant-based, which is, which is, I think why a lot of people get into veganism and then end up falling off because its approach is more of a diet, which as we know, like don't work again, you can kind of reap the benefits of like a mostly plant-based diet, but that doesn't mean a hundred percent plant-based diet. Like all the large epidemiological studies that we have on cultures or, you know, populations of people that eat predominantly plant-based, like don't eat a hundred percent plant-based, you know, and they still have these lower risks of cardiovascular disease and stroke and all this kind of stuff. So you don't have to do something a hundred percent to like reap the, 
benefits of this. You know, you can, you can eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. You can eat whole grains. Um, you know, you can eat nuts and seeds and still incorporate, you know, fish and milk and meat if you want to, you know? So I, I, I think just to not see it as so black and white, which is, I mean, the same thing that we say with people with intuitive eating that like eating mm-hmm. decisions are not black and white, um, kind of do have to live in the gray. So. Yeah. That's another parallel. You tie that up <laughs> quite yeah. nicely. I'd say Yeah, it's, it's really refreshing to hear someone like yourself who, you know, you are vegan and you've practiced this for a long while. It's so refreshing to hear you talk about how this doesn't have to be super rigid. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be black and white. You can find a little bit of a gray area and meet Mm -hmm. in the middle if that aligns with your values, right? And if that aligns with your lifestyle, I just, I really like how you approach this from a way that's very realistic and it's accessible and it's not Mm -hmm. shaming. I even said this at the top of the episode, it's not shaming if anyone Mm -hmm. chooses to act in a different way. And I feel like that's a important lesson when it comes to any food related behavior, right? Only you as the individual know your needs and your preferences and your lifestyle Mm -hmm. best. So only you get to make that decision. And maybe that includes more plants. Maybe it does not, right? We'll let our listeners decide there. But I think, yeah, knowing that it doesn't have to be so black and white is a great reminder. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think my, I don't think I was ever like a super rigid vegan. I mean, I was with myself, um, from like a disordered eating perspective, but I don't think I was ever like a total, you know, excuse my French asshole about it. Um, like to other people, I, at least I hope not. Um, but I think my, I think my views, I mean, honestly, on a lot of things, but on this in particular have really shifted during the pandemic because I just am like, God, everyone is trying their best. Mm-hmm. everyone is doing their best and everyone is struggling. And even like for someone, you know, like myself who has the time and money to like make food for themselves, like it's sometimes hard for me, you know, and I'm just, you know, do your best. Um, and nothing is a hundred percent. And on kind of a deeper level, I think we have just been sold this lie of like personal responsibility to change the world. And I just maybe I'm a little bit cynical now, but I just, it's just not true. Like I'm, yes, we can all like make shifts, but at the end of the day, like big things need to happen for like climate change not to happen or um, anything like that. And not, not to get into a super cynical place, but I think that that maybe reduces, you know, pressure on individual people that like what I do is so important it's like well you know if you want to eat less animals because you just truly don't want to then that's on you but like also you don't have to have like the weight of climate change on your shoulder and like deciding what to eat you know right yeah like you can decide the the things in your life that make sense to shift Mm -hmm. again that align with your values that make Mm -hmm. you feel as though you're contributing in a way that feels Mm -hmm. good for you. And at the same time, you don't have to fully take on the burden of something that goes far beyond your power as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. It's like plastic use. I I mean, my plastic consumption has like drastically increased during COVID, but like you couldn't bring your own mug into the coffee shop and I'm going to get a latte. Like it brings me serotonin human being <laughs> you know? yes human, human being that's a human being like and I'm I'm gonna like buy an option at the grocery store that's in plastic because it saves money like I'm you know I don't have the luxury of like choosing you know the most expensive option if it doesn't have like I, I am like we all are doing our best and I try to live like a sustainably minded life, but I have given myself a lot more flexibility because at the end of the day, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to save us money. I'm trying to like feed everyone in the house. I, you know, and like we all are, you know, so I guess, yeah, to end it, just like you're doing your best. And I think just reflecting on, you know, your own personal values and how, if you want to, you can make small shifts to that in like a non-restrictive way that keeps you satisfied and that, you know, is enjoyable. Yeah. But first we start from this place of acknowledgement that you're doing your best. Right. Yeah. And that might look a little different. I think coming from that place of 
giving credit and just being compassionate mm-hmm. and not coming at this from the super harsh narrative of I need to make yeah. all these changes right now. And the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I find myself saying that a lot in client appointments now. And I'm like, well, you were doing your best or you're doing your best right now. And clients are like, yeah, I am, you know? And I think sometimes we all just kind of need that acknowledgement. So yeah. it never hurts to say whoever's listening, you were doing your best. You were doing, you were <laughs> doing, doing great. Best and plants. Maybe that's like the title of the episode. I don't know what the title will be, yeah. but we'll do something there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Emily, it has been great getting to talk with you and hear all of your takes on veganism and intuitive eating and how the two have a lot of overlaps and connections. Can you share with our listeners where people can find you, learn more about you, your work and how to work with you if they're interested? Yeah. Um, my website is emilyeats.com. My name is E-M-I-L-I-E. Um, and that is mostly recipes. They're all vegan, um, but they're like good vegan. They're like, like vegan. Yeah. Yeah. Like I use like white flour and like some vegan cheese, you know, so it's not, you know, all, I try to like make it actually a reflection of the way that I eat, which is mm-hmm. not, you know, all foods in the produce section, you know, so, um, actually good vegan recipes. So that's mostly recipes. And then on Instagram, I'm Emily Eats, And that is mostly me sharing about nutrition and a little bit, you know, about obviously about food because that's a part of nutrition. Um, I'm also on TikTok, which is Emily A. Bear RD and that's E-M-I-L-I-E-H-E-B-E-R-T-R-D. Um, and you can get, yeah, you can get in touch with me. Either of those ways. You can always send me a DM on Instagram. So. I'll have to find you on TikTok. I'll have to follow yeah. along with the it's journey so fun over there. It is fun. I'm, I'm like a Gen Z cusp. So I'm 1996. So mm-hmm. in some charts, I'm a millennial. Some charts, I'm a Gen Z. So like, I just, I like TikTok. It's like my humor. Um, it doesn't always transfer to Instagram well, but I really am having fun on TikTok. Yeah. Well, I have to come find you. I've been on TikTok for a few years now. I've liked it from the beginning. Any TikTokers do not belong on this podcast because we stand TikTok here, but uh, I love TikTok. Yeah. But we'll have to come (laughs) connect with you and I'll be sure to link um, all of your social handles and your website as well in the show notes below so that our listeners can find it. But yeah, My friends on the Yours Truly podcast, that is all we have for you here today. So we are going to sign off by saying yours, Julie, Claire, and Emily. And that's a wrap for episode 169 here on the Yours Truly podcast with special guest Emily A. Bear, all on plant-based eating. I hope you found this episode helpful. I know I really enjoyed it. I always learn when I get the opportunity to speak with fellow dietitians and other professionals who I have here on the show. But if you like today's episode or anything else that you've ever heard here on the podcast, it would be so special to me if you could tap five stars or leave a review. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, tell me what you love, any feedback you might have. If you're listening elsewhere, somewhere like Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever else you might get your podcast, you can share by taking a screenshot and uploading to your social media story or platform of choice. Be sure to tag me and Emily so we can give you a thanks for listening. As always, if you want to connect more with me, if you want to get enrolled in the Mastering Meal Planning mini course that I shared at the top of the episode, all of the links that you'll need to do that are in the show notes below. But until next week, hope you have a great and safe and healthy few weeks ahead and I'll talk to you soon.